You're listening to Environmentally Speaking, a weekly podcast diving into legal matters surrounding the environment, public utilities, energy, zoning, and permitting laws in Rhode Island and the surrounding areas. With your host, Marissa Desitel. And welcome to this week's episode of Environmentally Speaking. We are mixing it up for the new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Um, I am joined by another member of the Desitel Browning firm. I am joined by the Browning portion of it. I'm joined by Kieran. Welcome. Hi, great to be here. Hi, we are talking about the land use side of it. But before we get into that, welcome, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a, it's a gray, uh, but partially sunny day here in Newport and hoping for uh, spring sooner rather than later. Oh, I hope so. It's very New England right now. It is. But yeah, welcome. I know you are the the newer portion of the firm and I want we wanted to have you on, join the podcast. Um, tell us a little bit about what it's like being the other half of the firm now. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's so exciting. Um, it's been a lifelong dream of mine. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting, really happy. Um, something I've worked for for a long time and it's, it's been great. Marissa is an incredible, um, attorney, uh, and also an incredible business partner and friend. And I think I'm very lucky, um, to, to have that all in my life in one person. She's amazing. Oh, she's not here. You can say what you want. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think we're both lucky to to have her as a friend, but um, I was very excited. We got to meet at Marissa's, uh, for those of you who don't know, every year Marissa hosts a holiday party, and it was really wonderful that we got to hang out, and that was really fun, considering that we called, or we spoke about this episode same day and had no idea that we were going to be hanging out that night. So that's that right, joy. that's right, and you were kind enough to point that out and introduce yourself. Um <laughs> Because I, I was new to the group, so I was happy that you did that. Oh, yeah. What a, And so today, knowing that you are kind of the land use section and that's your domain, we're going to be talking about that today. And we're talking about a Block Island New Shoreham case specifically. And before we started recording, you and I were chit-chatting about the case. I didn't expect to have strong feelings about this one. Yeah, um, I, I'm interested to hear more about that. <laughs> so do you want do you want to tell us a little bit about the facts of the case? Do you want me to kick us off with just sort of the bare bones of it? Yeah, I'll give a little bit of a, a blurb on it. So recently the Superior Court uh, issued a decision in a matter entitled uh, Edward Hayde versus New Shoreham Zoning Board. In that case, the court had reviewed a New Shoreham Zoning Board uh, decision regarding a variance request. Uh, and the court said that the town had done everything it needed to do. So it upheld the town's decision. Um, specifically, the two biggest issues that the, the court was looking at was notice and also whether the appropriate standard had been applied by the town to the applicant's application uh, materials. And for a little bit of kind of zooming out even a little bit more, 
the actual events that were happening, it looks like the applicant was hoping to, and ultimately their goal was to build a home. Um, and the lot was, I, I'm not sure if it was too small to build a home at all, or if the lot was too small to build the home that they were intending to build. So they were looking to have a special variance for that home. So that was sort of the end goal. That was the action they were trying to take. Um, that's, that's right. Like where it was all kicking off from. That's right. Like many property owners in Rhode Island uh, who own property that is not of a conforming size. So you have a lot and maybe it's a postage stamp size lot and the town is saying, in order to build a house, you have to have, you know, two or three acres and you've got half acre. That would be an example of a lot that's non-conforming by size. Which I don't know if that's something a lot of our listeners think. I, I mean, for those who have built a home, this is a process that's very familiar. But for folks who've never built a home, it's not something that you would really think about. Your house, just because you have a lot, doesn't mean you can build to whatever size you want. Your home has to be within a certain percentage of your lot. That's right. So yeah, whether it's residential or commercial, uh, one of the first things we look at is the lot itself, the acreage of the lot, and then you have to look at the local requirements, which give you what's called the building envelope. That's the highest you can go. That's your maximum height. That's your uh, maximum um, lot coverage. Um, and in some towns, they have special requirements if you want to build buildings above a certain number of square feet. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's all that goal that all goes into this kind of mix. And then we determine what the building envelope looks like, which you, if you can imagine it, it's like if you imagine a lot that's flat and then you put a box on top of it, you can build within that box. That's your building envelope. Mm hmm. Yeah, I used to, um, I lived really close to Little Compton and I used to work with an attorney who did a lot of work for Little Compton. And I remember the requirements, that box was very detailed. Um, I remember the box could be no bigger than 10% of your total lot. And what that box looked like had lots of other prescriptive elements involved. And for some odd reason, this was like over a decade ago, I still remember all of those requirements that's <laughs> right. never left my brain that's right and when and they all change from city to town so mm -hmm. you may you know have an understanding of what's allowed in one town and then you go to another one and it it's all it's all different it's all because it's all uh municipality specific they can by state enabling act they can enact their own to a certain extent their own regulations and and they have a lot of say in what can and cannot be built. Yeah, so keeping with that analogy, this case really focused in two parts. One was that notice piece, which doesn't relate to this this box analogy, but then the second portion had to do with, did the zoning board error in allowing the applicant to you know, build the box that they did, build their house? And what were your thoughts on both pieces? Because I, I almost didn't, I almost didn't take issue with the notice element at all. 
I kind of went with that. I was like, yeah, okay. I could see how that goes. And I thought it was so interesting, the amount of, I thought there was more discussion in the, the actual building portion of it. What were your thoughts? Did you kind of switch with that or? Well, notice is typically when we get calls, uh, well, when we're, when we're either submitting an application for development or we are talking to a potential client who wants to appeal, um, either way, notice is one of the first things that we look at. When we're in the driver's seat and we are applying on behalf of an applicant for a project, notice is very important because it is a jurisdictional requirement. If notice is not proper, the board that you're in front of does not have jurisdiction to hear it. So it's very important that the notice that is submitted is correct. And here what the court said was the notice was fine mm -hmm. um, and that you can rely on certified tax records of the municipality for your abutter notice. So what does that mean? It means that when you go before a town uh, for a development approval, the law requires you to give notice to the neighbors. And depending on what you're asking for, you may have to give notice to just a few neighbors or many neighbors. They do it by a radius. And once you know who those neighbors are in your radius, then you have to assemble a list of their names and addresses. And sometimes the question comes up, well, where do I get all those names and addresses? And what you do is you go to the tax assessor records and you and you either most cities and towns now have a way to generate those lists for you, um, but it used to be that you had to go in and, and pull them or the engineer would go in and go to each individual lot on the map within the radius and make the list. And sometimes mm -hmm. errors are made. And if you miss somebody or if there's a condominium next door and you didn't notice every single owner within the condo because you just thought it was one building, one house, you didn't realize that there was a condo on there, that is improper notice. People didn't get notice. So yes, I agree with the court's decision and I understand why it's in here. It's one of those things that most uh, developers, attorneys who are submitting an application, or if you're on the other side and you're appealing a decision, that's one of the first things we looked at. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a better way of addressing it. It's important and needs to be discussed. And I read that as, yes, this is I read it as, yep, that decision was right. It looks like this was handled okay. It had to be said. I didn't take any issue with it. I was like, yeah, that that looks right. So I tell me where you got you got heated. <laughs> they spent so long talking about a porch. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> and please, I need an expert. I need I need somebody to either talk me off the porch, help me see the light. I I need help. They spent so long talking about hardship in relation to a porch and whether this is hardship to the applicant, hardship to the neighbors. I I need legal language to help me understand how hardship relates <laughs> to the porch. A great question. <laughs> so anytime you're seeking a variance, when you so for example, in our case, you know, you've got a lot, it's non-conforming by size, you or maybe you want to put a house and it's 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 a little closer into your to your street than it should be. 
you're in what's called the front setback. You need a variance. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be 50 feet off the street, for example, but you can only, because of the way things are laid out, you can only get 25 feet. So mm -hmm. you go in and you and you ask for a variance. And the standard for a variance is based in hardship. So that is why you see a lot of discussion about hardship. There are specific criteria you have to meet under state law to get a variance, but they're all based in this idea of hardship. You've got to come to the town and say, I, something is difficult for me to comply with what you're asking me to comply with. I need I need a little relief from, or maybe a lot of relief from whatever standard it is that you can't meet. I just, I you know, maybe this is something, I, I forget, I'm reading the, I'm scanning, I'm quickly scanning the decision right now. I'm trying to find it, but they had put in how far away the, um, the porch would make how far away the porch would be from the road. And again, I am some listener will be cringing somewhere. I openly admit I'm a person who measures like fingertip to elbow. Like I'm not, I'm not good with a tape measure. I'm not good with numbers. <laughs> I can't visualize. If you tell me it's seven feet, I don't know, but it felt like a sizable amount away from the road. Mm -hmm. And they talked about, a, it, it sounded, I don't know if they even mentioned how far away it was from the neighbor, but this all sounded sizably far away from each other. And I just couldn't move past the idea unless I saw pictures of the lots. Maybe they are, maybe this is truly close to each other where both neighbors couldn't enjoy their porches without truly all of a sudden, all of them have to have a conversation together. And maybe that is what it looks like because I haven't seen photos and I am a visual person, but I just couldn't get past this idea of like, let everybody have their porch. It's Block Island. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate you explaining the idea of hardship isn't necessarily hardship in the conversational sense of the word. It is mm -hmm. a legal sense and is different. And I think one of, I liked there is a quote early on in the decision from a zoning board member of how a porch is a nice feature. And it's something that, you know, the, I think it was children and elderly need to be outside more. And that's what having a home on Block Island's about. And it was, they spent a really long time talking about it. And I was like, it's just shoot, let everybody have their porch. <laughs> You're right. And I can think of probably a hundred other examples of, you know, um, that if, if it's not a porch, it's a, you know, it's a deck or it's a, a um, I think in one case we had a long discussion about a cornice on the roof. Um, but the, the key to it is you're not really so focused on the feature that you're discussing. It's about whether the, whether the plan that's before the board fits the requirements um, of the town's ordinance. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, you know, this one did. It's just mm -hmm. that the porch was a problem. Um, and that's why you're right. When you, when you, and even when you argue these things, you're constantly saying the word porch or you're constantly saying the word, you know, cornice. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's really not about that. It's about whether whatever the feature is, it, does it fit the standard to grant the relief? 
decision then went into this idea of least relief necessary. Mm -hmm. And I read that as, is there a way to do both while fitting in the guidelines? Was that, is that sort of an adequate way of describing that? What do you mean do both? Is there a way to have a porch fit within the guidelines? Because I read this as the feature, having that feature is now in this case, this specific case. So that porch was just large enough to go over the guidelines. So is there something that can be done to have everything fit within that prescribed box that we talked about in the beginning of our conversation? And that to me is what least relief necessary is. Like, is there a way to, I don't know, redesign the shape of the home? Is there a way to shave off a couple inches so that porch now fits in that prescribed box? Is it moving the layout a little bit? That's right. And this is a standard that I think a lot of um, my clients struggle with and also mm. boards struggle with. And the courts recently have come out in a couple of cases to talk about this standard. And what they have developed is this idea that you have to consider other reasonable alternatives. So that means that you, if you come to, if you, if you have a plan and your engineer, or your architect comes up with this wonderful plan, it looks amazing, but you need the relief because you're, you're in the, for example, the front step back, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you go to the board, the board is going to ask you, you know, I know you're asking for this relief. What else did you consider to try to try your best to minimize the relief, minimize the, the variance? You know, did, could you move the porch to the other side? Could you, you know, make it a smaller porch? Like you said, um, those are the things that you've got to come ready to talk about when you're looking for a dimensional variance. It's been my experience uh, that having your team there, your architect, your engineer there to testify the reason why the alternative that is being presented is really the only one that's reasonable. And oftentimes uh, it could be a matter of where the septic has to be placed. Um, that's a, that's a, a, a consideration that needs to happen usually in a specific spot of the property. And that will determine what you can and can't do in the other areas of the lot. Uh, but having those experts on your team, um, having them at the hearing so that they can explain that to the municipality is important. It's one thing for the, the, the applicant or the property owner to say it. It's one thing for their attorney to say it. But the, that testimony from the applicant isn't isn't grounded in science or professional expertise. Um, lawyers uh, can give um, can can speak to the board, but we really can't be testifying. Um, it's our job to get that type of information to the board via a professional or an expert. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. No, that's helpful, and I think it's. I think having that explanation and and letting the clients or the applicants know that having that conversation of you need to be prepared to explore this idea or understand that 
at least have a conversation about we have plan A of what the property or structure will look like, whether it's like you said, residential, commercial. Before we go and ask for this variance, have we thought about the other alternatives and why they could or couldn't work? Because that'll either make, if they could work, it'll make getting that application a little bit easier because you're asking for a little less or we have an answer for why it won't work. So you're better prepared and you're not surprised by that question down the road. That's right. And what's also important to note is that that type of evidence is important because it has, it should be put into the record. So if someone does appeal, uh, you, have, you as the applicant has a solid record going to superior court. Because like what happened in this case, the court is going to look at the record and the decision to see if there is substantial evidence there to support the board's decision. So if, for example, a, a town, a board skips over that element, never discusses it, and the applicant's attorney doesn't, doesn't make sure that, that that element is in the record, you open yourself up uh, for the court to say this piece was missing. Uh, so you really, you know, you should not have been granted this relief. That's a good point. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. Is there anything else about this case that struck you or, or anything else that we haven't touched on yet? No, now I that, think now that just... I've come off, now that I've come off the porch, I can see a little clearer. <laughs> come on off the porch. Um, <laughs> I think the only other thing that this reinforces for me is for um, that municipal boards who are, you know, they that sit and hear these applications and have to make these decisions. You know, these these are people who are volunteering their time. They are um, most of them have full time jobs, full lives, and they come to these meetings at night because they care about the community. Um, and they have, uh, you know, a certain level of familiarity with the community. Um, and what is sometimes difficult is uh, making sure that the legal standard, not only is all the evidence in to meet the legal standard, um, but also that boards are deliberating before they vote in a way that is clear and um, is thorough and thoughtful. And I say that because if a case ever does get appealed like this one did by a neighbor, the court is going to look at the decision of the board to make sure that there were findings of fact, we call them, the board has got to make findings of fact as to each element necessary to come to a conclusion. So if there are five, say, elements that they have to think about and decide and, 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 and kind of mull over before they come to their decision, those things all should be spelled out uh, in, their in their deliberations, in their questioning, in their findings. And you see that the court here did a good job of going back into the record and looking to see what the board said, what kind of questions did they ask? Um, what did they talk about? What kind of evidence was presented to them? 
to make sure that all of that that got into the record uh, was appropriate and supported a decision of, in this case, approval. And I think that I can't stress that enough. It's, it's sometimes difficult for um, those sitting on these boards to, you know, it's a long night, it's a long day, you just want to get it done, uh, but it is important. It's an important step to make sure that your findings and your discussion about the project before you vote is grounded in the evidence and talks about the findings of fact. And that's that. That's probably the most important um, uh, feature uh, because mm -hmm. it just makes makes the courts. It does go on appeal. It makes the courts work easier. It makes the lawyers work easier. But it's not. It, it is no. Sometimes it's it's not an easy task. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, another big takeaway is, like you pointed out in the beginning, even if notice is a non-issue, it still needs to be discussed and acknowledged just to have it on that record, just like you were just saying about this other last piece. And um, from a client or a lay person's expect, um, I almost said expectation, uh, perspective, we have to separate ourselves from the structure. It's, it's not the actual structure, it's the legal hardship and it's separating yourself from that. So, you know, we might get in the weeds, but it's important to, to lean on our counsel a little bit more and go through that process, have that conversation of the bigger picture. What does this really mean in terms of process versus actual physical item? So it's, it's helpful to have you there to remind us. It's not actually just the porch, it's bigger. Yeah, but it's a great it's a great point because um that is where most property owners uh you know they're they're passionate. Everybody who owns property is they're passionate about their property. They're paying the taxes on it, they're taking care of it, they're mowing the grass, they're making sure it looks nice and is well maintained. And so yeah, for them it, it is very the porch is very important. Spent a lot of money thinking about and paying for somebody to to design this porch. Um, but from the lawyer's perspective it's important that we meet the legal grounds to get the relief we're looking for. And that's where uh, I would always advise a client who's involved in a zoning matter to have counsel. Makes sense. Oh, thank you so much. This was, uh, I, like I said, I didn't expect to be riled up, but this was a good conversation. I loved it. Well, um, I really appreciate your time. It's been good. We I was a little will... nervous. I have to say, I've never done a podcast. <laughs> I told you it wasn't going to be scary. You did. And you're one. totally right. <laughs> very good. So we will put this decision in the show notes. If anybody wants to read it, let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you felt emotionally attached to this porch. Um, validate me. Tell me I'm not alone. Send <laughs> us your thoughts. Email us at marissa at desatelbrowning.com. Um, or Karen at desatelbrowning.com. I'd love to get emails or questions. That'd be great. Karen has opened herself up for questions. I love this. Yeah. Clarice, yes, you have, reach you out. have increased my confidence level in all things podcast. <laughs> I have a convert. I love it. You can also reach out to us on the socials. We are on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm still going to call it Twitter. I know it's formerly known as Twitter and now known as X. I think that's silly, uh, but it is also Desatel Browning. You can watch our videos on YouTube and shoot, put our Search us on Google, Desitel Browning. See what comes up. We hope to see you there. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Environmentally Speaking. If you're in need of an environmental attorney, we are here to help. Call us at 
0023 or visit our website at www.desatellaw.com. That's www.desatellaw.com.